climbing is just, uh, it's you against you. You know, there's no competition like in a lot of sports. You know, you don't win a game. You don't win points or whatever. It's you against the former you, you know. It's it's 99% cerebral, which is more or less how I've lived my life. <laughs> climbing is problem solving. It's finding a way to get from point A to point B and then to point C and then to point D and then, you know, up the wall. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with influencers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good in all kinds of interesting ways. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about my podcast, my web courses, and my book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at upcoming episodes and other fun tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. A big part of aging well is pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone, taking ourselves on an adventure and living without regret. And that's what I'm doing in May when I play tennis at the National Senior Games. Will I take home a medal? Nope but I will meet tons of like-minded people and get to explore Fort Lauderdale and eat food that they don't have in Syracuse, New York, and I am excited. But today's guest takes getting out of our comfort zone to the extreme. The mother of extreme climber Alex Honold, star of the Oscar-winning documentary Free Solo, decided to take up extreme sports in her 60s. At age 66, Deirdre Wallownick set a record of her own on El Capitan, becoming the oldest woman ever to climb that sheer rock face. A multi-talented woman in her own right, she proves that determination and grit can bring you to places that you have never imagined and even help heal a life that could have been full of emotional challenges. Welcome to the show, Deirdre. Good morning, and thanks for inviting me. I am so excited to speak to you on so many, there's so many uh, pieces of this that I am just uh, thrilled to get a chance to talk to you about. And of course, I, like many, uh, saw the uh, film Free Solo. And the first thing I thought of as a mother, and I'm sure you've gotten this question before, is what were you doing when Alex first scaled El Capitan free solo without a rope or any kind of safety gear? What were you doing um, during that climb? I was driving. <laughs> I was driving up Highway uh, I-5 between Sacramento and Portland, Oregon. Um, no free soloist ever tells anyone that they're going to do a free solo. Uh -huh. So I didn't know. I didn't know. Thank goodness. I didn't know. 
Um, I, Alex has done many, may, maybe a hundred free solos in his life of climbing, and I did not know about any of them. And that's the nature of free soloing. A free soloist has to have their mind completely clean, clear, focused. They they don't want to know that you know mom's home wishing they weren't up there <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah they had a piece of that in the film where he started out and it was just too chaotic and yes, busy with yes, the filmmakers yes. right. his, and his mind wasn't and clear he, enough yeah and is he abandoned ship how fascinating but you did know because there are great photos um in your book about alex as a little guy being on top of a bureau, being, I mean, you knew it was happening at some point. Well, I knew that, I mean, climbing, climbing has always been his life. And, uh, but climbing El Cap without a rope is such an outrageous thing to even think about. For, even for all the elite climbers out there, they would never consider it. So, no, I, I had no clue he was doing that. No clue whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I, I knew he was climbing on El Cap. He's always been working, you know, in his words, I'm working on El Cap. <laughs> He's always been working on El Cap for the last mm-hmm. 10, 20 years. So, no, I had no clue. So you have been, you've done so many things professionally. You speak several languages. You've been a professor. You have had a very successful life as an adult. And um, you were curious, I guess, to, 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 to uh, find out more about what is my boy doing and why is it so captivating? Do you remember the decision and the discussion around, I think I might, venture into this um it wasn't really a discussion except in my own head (laughs) (laughs) um i had watched him for years and i had tried other things you know outdoor with my kids um um, a few years prior to becoming a climber i i sort of fell into the world of long distance running And, um, you know, that happened and it was terrific. And you know, my kids were sort of responsible for that, kind of mm-hmm. prodded me into it. Um, and so, you know, I did marathons and half marathons and, and stuff and became sort of, sort of, kind of an athlete. I never thought of myself <laughs> as an athlete. I still don't. You were more of an intellectual. Yeah, exactly. Most of my mm-hmm. life has been spent on sedentary activities or intellectual activities, whatever you want to call that, you know, in my you know, conducting an orchestra, for example, that's, <laughs> there's nothing very active physically about that or publishing books and nothing, you know. So I, I, little by little became sort of kind of an athlete. And, and then um, Alex was home once with an injury, an injured arm, so he couldn't climb. And I had been seeing many uh, articles and clips and stuff about him, about what he had been up to out there and, you know, things, wild things he had done. And his friends would come through the house here and they'd all sit around and chat about what they had just done or were going to do or where they were going, what gear they were going to use. And I didn't understand any of it. I tried. I mean, I asked him questions about, you know, what does this mean? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. But you can't learn a language out of context. I mean, I've learned many languages in my life. I've taught five different foreign languages in, throughout my career as a teacher, and I speak more than that. And I know that you cannot really learn a language out of context. And I had never tried climbing, and he would explain these things to me, you know, you know, 
the difference between free solo and free climbing and trad climbing and sport climbing. To me, it was all just climbing. You know? <laughs> And I don't like, I'm a linguist. I've been a linguist all my life. I don't like not understanding what's going on around me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, uh, when he was injured like that, I, I asked him to take me to the gym. And uh, just so he could show me how it works, what everything's called, how to tie in, how to put on the harness, which is not intuitive <laughs> at all. Mm. Um, and so I figured I'd go there. I'd spend half a day. I'd go up half a wall maybe because I, I knew in my heart of hearts that I was afraid of heights, you know, like most people. <laughs> Oh, goodness. This is in California? Well, I grew up in New York, in New York City. Oh, I see. So I'd been up many, many skyscrapers and tall Mm, buildings. Enough to know. Enough to know. (laughs) know, I knew that if I looked over the edge of of any building like that uh, or whatever tower, uh, my stomach would roil. And, and, you know, I knew, you know, I couldn't do that. But we went (laughs) and uh, he showed me how to tie in uh, and he belayed me, you know, he, he... controlled my rope for me as I climbed. And as it turned out, um, I climbed the first wall, no problem, all the way up to, you know, like 45 feet to the the top. And I was able to turn around and look down and uh, smile at him. And and there was no fear, What's not no fear, but what I learned was that once you tie in, you know, once once the rope is attached to your harness, and Mm -hmm. I knew I had the, you know, the strongest climber in the world on the other end of my rope. that fear goes away because you know you can't fall. I see. Because when people say I'm afraid of heights, it's not the height itself they're afraid of. It's falling off that height. And so Mm -hmm. when that goes away, the fear goes away. And so I uh, discovered that day that I loved it. I did like 11 or 12 climbs that day, which is unusual. It's a lot. I see. What did you – I mean, this may sound so basic, but – I'm just so curious what it is that you love. What what's what's the experience? I mean, I could talk about tennis until people just, you know, tear up with boredom <laughs> and explain why I love it. Right. But right. some of it of course has no words. Exactly. What, what what for you? What what just connected with you that was like this is this is all, this is Oh, so perfect. Yeah, so, so many things. Uh for outdoor climbing, I mean, I didn't start outdoors. I started in a climbing gym, you know, the one he took me to, uh, the one where he trains when he's home. I, I still go there to, to train, uh, climb with friends. Um, so I started indoors. Uh, I, I stayed indoor climbing for about half a year, more or less. And uh, the outdoor climbing, I'll start there because it's the most visual. The outdoor climbing is amazing because climbers go to the most outrageous places and they get mm. the most outrageous views of mm. the world mm. of, of the scenery the topography it's just incredible where they go and the tourists can never see these places mm. the right way, yeah, the only way to see them is by climbing up there and, and being there um, like el cap for example el capitan i mean <laughs> you can't imagine what it's like to be hanging on the side of El Cap, like mm-hmm. 2,000 feet up. You just cannot imagine that. Is there a spiritual aspect to this? Absolutely, yeah. Can you t- yeah. I'm just so curious. So can you talk a little bit if you if you can find the words? Yeah, well, climbing, climbing is an unusual sport in that, you know, like different from any other sport I've ever tried. I've always been active and out there skating and bicycling and stuff. But climbing is just, uh, it's you against you. 
you know, mm. there's no competition like in a lot of sports. You know, you don't win a game, you don't win points or whatever. It's you against the former you, you know. And um, it's it's ninety nine percent cerebral, which is more or less how I've lived my life. <laughs> mm. Climbing mm. is problem solving. It's ninety nine percent cerebral. It's finding a way to get from point A to point B, and then to point C, and then to point D, and then you know up the wall. And it's, it's a lot of people say, oh, I could never climb. I have no upper body strength. Well, I didn't either. <laughs> uh-huh. And I still don't really, not a lot. I mean, I can't do a pull-up. I can't, I, I can do, you know, baby girl pull push-ups, you know? <laughs> but, right. yeah, but, but I'll never probably be able to do a bona fide pull-up from the ground, you know, arms outstretched. I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. I, I've tried and tried and tried, <laughs> but Climbing is mostly foot propelled. You know, your feet push you up, not your arms uh-huh. pulling you up. And and mostly for w- women, especially women who are uh, less upper body endowed. You know, uh-huh. they don't have the upper body strength. Most women, um, you can work on it and get better. But you know, the obvious difference between the male form and the female form. You know, the upper body is weaker and smaller. But that that's sort of a bonus because that forces women to become more strategic, to learn mm. different ways to, to accomplish the same things without wearing out the upper part of your body. I see. So, yeah, it's it's been a, a real learning experience in so many ways. But what I, that's really what I love about it. It's, it's mostly cerebral, and it's the accomplishment is in having figured out the problem. Like when... You know the difference between bouldering and climbing? Rock climbing, you know, is up a wall or a mountain. Okay. Involves ropes and a, and a partner. Bouldering is just you on the rock. Bouldering mm. is like what Alex did on El Cap, but small, short, you know, just a few feet up and then down. Mm-hmm. So I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> well, I think we started with is it spiritual? And then uh, you were talking about the many aspects. Right, the problem solving. In mm-hmm. bouldering, um, they call each bouldering challenge, if you will, uh, they call those problems, a bouldering problem, a boulder problem. Which boulder, Which problem did you do today? You know, they go, that's what I they call see. it. I see. Because your goal is to figure out, you know, the best way to position your body, the best way to use your feet, use your toes, use your heel, whatever, to, to move upward. And so it's mm-hmm. not just brute force, you know. A lot of young guys who try climbing the first time, they wear out immediately because they try to pull themselves up the rock or up the wall. You know, usually in a gym this happens. And that's not the key at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see. That's I never would have thought of that, but now I can understand it's more subtle than that. Oh, yeah, a lot more subtle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down, and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. 
if you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And so <laughs> you, I know that you did more than one climb and on your 70th birthday, you did a special climb. Yep. Well, back, back in 2017, I became the oldest woman to ever go up El Cap, you know, up the face. Um, mm. and, and that was a, a, a real, you know, a technical climb that we did, um, on the West side of El Cap, um, Alex did the technical climbing part of it, and I jumped up the rope. I climbed the rope. My feet were on the wall, but my hands were on the, on the uh -huh. these things that clip onto the rope, and you can slide them upwards and keep going upwards. So, um, so I, I technically didn't climb it, you know, as climbers call it, but I did climb it as a dictionary definition, you know. So the uh -huh. oldest one to climb El Cap. We, when we did that climb, it took us about 13 hours to get up, which is unusual because it usually takes most elite climbers like four days. <laughs> but when you go with Alex, Alex holds the speed records on everything, you know, everything all over the world. So when you go with him, you go really fast. <laughs> and so we did. So we got up there in 13 hours. We started like a, we started hiking up to the base of the climb at 5.30 in the morning, but we didn't start climbing until, until about 7.00. And then, so by the time we got to the top, it was pitch dark. Uh -huh. So I didn't get to see the top. All I saw was, you know, my, my little cone of light from my headlamp as we walked, because you have to walk like a mile and a half across the top of El Cap to get to the, the down, the, the route that takes you down. So, because all the, all the climbs, there are like 105 climbs up El Cap. Uh, I and, see. And everybody who goes up any of those 105 climbs comes down the same route. They all come down the same way. Okay. So I didn't get to see the top. I didn't get to see the views from the top. I didn't get to see mm. the top. I, I, you know, I was missing part of the experience, a, valid, a valuable part of the experience for me. You know, he's been up there a million times, but I didn't know what was up there. So 
this year when I was thinking about my 70th, you know, my 70th was coming up. What did I want to do? It was, <laughs> it was COVID. I couldn't have a party. I couldn't, you know, couldn't go into a fancy restaurant with friends because of COVID. So what did I want to do? Well, I wanted to see the top of that, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I convinced some friends to, to help me out, some young, young friends, um, climbing friends, you know, and uh, they all agreed this would be a great idea. And so I had like three or four, uh, four youngins, the youngins I call them. <laughs> they carried a lot of, because I wanted, once I had made up my mind to do it, I decided to, um, I wanted to, sleep up there and see what the sunset was like from the top and see what the uh, sunrise was like from the top. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that requires a lot of stuff. So all the youngins, they carried these mm, huge bags. Called your Sherpas. My, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they were my Sherpas, my American Sherpas. And so they carried, you know, the, the sleeping bags and the, the you know, mattress pads and the food, the water, mostly water. Water is really heavy. And, um, but I mean, we all carried, and there were, there were a total of 11 of us who went up that day. Four of them were the helpers, the Sherpas, whatever, the porters, and uh -huh. my friends, and the others were pe people who, uh, you know, friends of mine who wanted the experience, but couldn't do it on their own, you know. So, um, so this was an opportunity for them to get up to the top of El Cap, you know, up the face, <laughs> instead of just hiking, because there are hikes where you can get up to the top too. But uh, this is quite different, a lot more mm -hmm. strenuous. <laughs> so. Uh, and you had—is this when you had champagne and chocolates? Yes, yes. Unbeknownst, I had brought a little teeny ah. tiny. I had br brought a little tiny, uh, uh, you know, uh, personal size bottle of champagne in my backpack <laughs> just for me because I knew it was my birthday and I knew my friends were coming and it was going to be hard, long day. Unbeknownst to me, my friend Garrett, in the main my main training partner for all that time, he uh, he carried up two or three bottles of champagne, and that's oh, really heavy. Yes, and, and glasses to go, you know, to drink it from, and even cake, you know, my all cakes. For my oh <laughs> my goodness! Yeah, they were so good to me. They were just so wonderful to me. And uh, I'll never top that as a birthday party. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm afraid not. <laughs> no, no, it's downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it it sounds like your life really has changed. Not only because you've accomplished this amazing thing, but you have this community now, and. It sounds like it's a lifestyle. It's a whole lifestyle you're taking on. It's not just on the weekend I'll do a little climbing between my errands. No, climbing is definitely a lifestyle if you take it on. Yeah, they mm -hmm. call it they call it lifestyle climbing. Oh, I see. And so, did it feel like when you first started getting involved in this and loved it and adopted it that your identity changed in some way? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, yeah. Um, in many ways. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined me doing these things like, you know, 15 years ago when I was mm -hmm. starting to think about retiring. This is not anything I would ever have dreamed of for my retirement. But, uh, it happened and I embraced it and it's wonderful. Um, uh, it's, it's a, a learning experience from start to finish every time you go climbing. 
And you've been very honest about um, in your book and, um, and, and blog and, and, and all that, your childhood was difficult. Family life was difficult. Your husband was difficult. The divorce was quite painful. Then he died. I mean, you have it has not been a breeze for you. And um, I'm wondering how climbing and being an extreme athlete has that helped you heal from? Oh yes. How how so? Can you talk a little? Reflect on that. Well, um, climbing. And to some extent, running as well, but especially climbing, um, is 100% focus. While you're on the wall trying to figure out a climb, you cannot, cannot think about anything else. You really can't. Mm-hmm. If you do, you fall off and you lose it. You know, you won't finish your, your, your climb. It's 100% focus. Um, the only time in my life, which I, well, two different ways that I've experienced this kind of focus was at the piano and when I was painting. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, they talk about the zone, you know, getting in the zone, mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. in the focus, flow state. What it flow state, whatever. You know, there have been different names for that over the, over the decades, you know, but you get into this endeavor, whatever it is. For me, it's often piano. Um, like I said, painting, I haven't done enough painting in the last two decades to, to warrant talking about it, but you start doing it, whatever it is, like climbing or piano, and all of a sudden it's three hours later <laughs> and you didn't notice, uh-huh. you know? Um, that is the antidote to all stress. It really is. You get in this zone and then three hours later you feel completely at peace. It's hard to describe, um, uh, but you know, people are looking constantly for an antidote to the stress of everyday life, to the stress of all the unusual stressors in everyday life, like death, like divorce. I had it all for like six, seven, eight years. I had so much stress going on, uh, death uh, after death after death, and, and, uh, and being executor of estates and remodeling houses and dealing. Oh, it was crazy. I was doing the work of like six people and with alone, you know, with no help. And when I would get on the wall, all of that would just slough off. And I would just... It's different than a vacation. Oh, much, much different. Very different. You can't be... You, it's like your brain... I think what maybe what you're saying is there's no room right. to worry. There's no room to start future, you know, what they call future tripping. Well, what happens if the this one and that one doesn't, you know, you, you don't have the luxury because your brain is absolutely, it's... It, it's you, taken. It's completely... It's taken. There's no room for anything else. Mm. And that's not true on a vacation. A lot of people make right. that mistake. They, I'm going to get away from all this stress. I'm going to go on to Hawaii or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't do it because you take it all with you. But when you're on the wall or, you know, pounding out a, a Chopin etude or, or whatever it is on the piano, uh, you know, you can't take it with you. And so it just sloughs off. You leave it behind you and you just go. And that's one thing I love about climbing. And, and the other thing, of course, is you're in the beautiful outdoors, uh-huh. you know. The healing of nature. Exactly, exactly. 
I imagine you see some beautiful raptors and other birds when you're there. Yes. From a different vantage point. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's amazing to be way way up, hanging on a rope and watching the birds swooping around below you, way below. Mm. You. Mm. You know, it gives you a different perspective. It really does. Mm-hmm. You know, for women who are in an interesting in-between time um, and, and clients that I see in therapy really coming to this what now period of life. I've taken care of my family, my job, my all of this, and now my kids are launched. I may or may not be with my partner and I have no idea what the next step is. What would you say to them? Um, the very most basic thing is to start, if you haven't yet, start writing in a journal. Mm-hmm. Journaling is like the key. Journaling is like your own private shrink, 24-7. <laughs> it really is. It's your own private shrink. All, doors always open, you know, always ready. And you can figure out anything in a journal, anything. Um, that I can't stress that enough. I would not have survived a lot of the stuff I went through without without my journal. It's interesting. I actually did my thesis on journal writing, and I'm sure you are you you probably are familiar. There's a whole brain cognitive thing that happens in terms of having to organize your thoughts, also being able to go back and say, "Oh, there's some con- there's a pattern here." I mean, it's not just pleasant; it's deeply therapeutic. It is deeply therapeutic, and there's a connection of. Physical and I don't know the terms. I'm not a you know clinician. I'm not a, a therapist of any kind. But there's a there's a, a direct link between your brain and your hand as you write. I mean, there have been studies done about this. Try you know to to encourage students to write you know in in school and and different than being at a keyboard totally different totally real different. i did not know yeah, that you should check into that it's totally different ex- brain experience mm. and mind experience um very different and different things happen as you write these words out you can do it by keyboard too it's 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 almost the same but doing it with a pen or pencil or you know on paper is a uh, it, it what's the word it forces your brain to slow down because mm-hmm. you can't write as fast as you can think i can almost type as fast as i think mm-hmm. so it is a little different that way but not that much but if you start by using a pen it will help you to convince your mind to slow down mm-hmm. so that you can organize your thoughts you know, and at the beginning it will be sloppy and it will be messy and it will be chaos, but little by little, you know, it will it will start to happen, guaranteed. If we looked, or if <laughs> when you look at your journal, do you see a progression that makes sense now? When you go back, does it all, or can you connect the dots? Uh, what do you mean by progression? Kind of like, oh, you know, I didn't know it then, but I really was yearning for adventure or I was yearning for something. I didn't know what it was and it would turn out to be this thing. But could you sort of, there, are there undercurrents? Sort of. That's, I, I would call that an undercurrent. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, 
more often than that, I think, is going back and understanding who you were then. Mm. Not necessarily, you know, what you're going to become, but understanding who you were then and whether that was good or bad or indifferent or, or what that led to. I think that's the most valuable part of rereading your journal. Maybe having some compassion for yourself. Exactly. A lot of us don't. Yeah. A lot of us don't. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have a book that you've written that's all about um, your life and your uh, all of these <laughs> exciting challenges. And um, how can people reach you? Well, the book is called The Sharp End of Life. The sharp end is a climbing term because um, the book starts and ends on El Cap. So you will get a good idea uh, reading it of what it's like to be up there. I, I come to climbing from a totally different viewpoint than like people like my son, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, uh, you know, climbing as a mom is totally different than climbing as a young stud, totally different, mm -hmm. totally different. Mm -hmm. And so the book is called the sharp end of life. You, you'll find out why as you read it. Um, you can get it anywhere you buy books. Uh, Amazon. I was I think, number eleven. I think on Amazon for a while. So it, ah. it's uh, it's picking up. Um, the sharp end of life. Um, Barnes and Noble. Anywhere you buy books, but Amazon is the easiest. Yes, and you have a blog as well. Yeah, yeah. The blog. The blog predates the book by a lot. Um, the blog is just Deirdre W. Uh, mm. US. Um, yeah, it, it, the blog is a, a, a collection of essays from my life, from my experiences, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. You did some foraging, I saw. Yes, yes. My, uh -huh. my daughter is a forager. My daughter is a, a training now to be a botanist. Oh, really? She's going to love my interview with Susan Twite. That's her whole thing in my... In, um... Uh, she is out in Colorado and is a botanist and a writer and a forager uh, extreme. So, um, well, Deirdre, it was such a, so great talking to you um, and, and learning about your life and what brought you to be a climber and how it's changed you and how you have become the ultimate zestful ager <laughs> <laughs> kind of sort of <laughs> yeah i would say and i i wish you all the best it just sounds so exhilarating it is that it is that and oh i um oh i can i can only imagine well you should try it someday then you won't i i i should there are some climbing walls in the syracuse area and it has gotten to be um, popular and in fact a guest I had four years ago Mary Geel is a climber she goes around she was a professor at Syracuse University and she and her husband go all over the world climbing so I'm definitely going to uh, uh, link her so she can uh, hear you I'm sure she'll be thrilled yeah yeah I do a lot of speaking engagements at uh, climbing gyms uh-huh uh yeah I can imagine it's always well received not so much during COVID but I'll come back. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, really appreciate our conversation. Thanks for having me. Been a lot of fun. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. <music>